You're listening to Ritual, a podcast for curious humans, all about creative practices, mindset, and professional improvement. I'm your host, Daniel Lamb, CEO of Holland Creative. Hey, Shannon, welcome to the podcast. Hi. I'm really glad you're here today. And before we get into our conversation, I'm going to read your biography for our listeners. So prepare yourself. Okay. <laughs> Shannon and Turner is the founder and creative director of Story Muse, which provides unique strategies for personal, business, organizational, community, and content development everywhere that it's needed. Shannon serves as an independent consultant who conducts workshops and provides coaching to individuals and organizations seeking to use true personal stories for transformative potential. I was about to say development. I'm just going to recut that. Okay. Because I screwed it up and now I feel bad. Don't feel bad. You can screw it up. I'm all about like the art of, you know, the pivot and doing things, you know, on the fly and showing our messiness. So you don't even have to do it over if you don't want to. (laughs) All right. I'm going to use this as a teachable moment for, for transparency and vulnerability. That said, Shannon has two decades of professional experience and an MFA from Virginia Tech. So... Shannon, before we dive into all this conversation about storytelling and about resiliency, I need to ask you my number one question. What is your ritual? Oh my gosh, this is such a great question. I I have so many rituals. I'm like uh, kind of a ritual gal. You know, I, I grew up in the church and I definitely came to appreciate the value of a ritual in the way that it gives our lives a sense of anchor and meaning and brings forth energy that we want. So one of my favorite rituals that I've ever done that I'd love to tell you about is that when I moved into my house, I actually invited a bunch of people over and had a house blessing a house warming. I don't know if you've seen It's a Wonderful Life, but uh, in in that film, George and Mary Bailey go to the home of someone that they've helped to become a homeowner. And they, they bless them with wine and bread and salt. And each of those things has meaning. And I was so inspired by that scene that I asked several of my friends to kind of also inspired by that come up with things to welcome in the energies of creativity, hospitality, friendship, food, community, protection of the natural world, health and healing, love and the pursuit of partnership and spirit as the things that I wanted, the energies that I wanted to have contained and welcomed and continue to be fruitful in my new space. And they showed up in spades. Like they, this ritual took an hour and there was art making and there was singing and we turned to the different directions. And it was so amazing that people still talk about it. And I've been in this house for almost five years now. So it was a great ritual. That sounds like a really, a really beautiful experience. Yeah, to, yeah. To, to bring all those energies together like that. I can remember when we moved into our house, we definitely came in with our sage wands and tried to clear the energy and just sort of like intentionally enter the space as sort of a fresh start. So I never thought about rituals through like that lens until recently. That's a really, really cool thing. So 
You've worked with a lot of folks around their approach and relationship with storytelling. And for those of us who don't do this all the time, telling stories, I think that a common thing that comes up for people is, what the heck am I supposed to talk about? How can I do stories? I I don't think I have an an interesting story in me. So can you talk a bit about how you help people discover their stories? Yeah, sure. I think it's it's a, always to be just like cry and shame when folks think that they don't have any stories or any good stories to tell because this is a skill that we all used to have. And, you know, before we had Netflix or even TV for that matter, people used to sit around the porch or the campfire and just tell stories from their day, from their life, from their family or, you know, some of the big stories, the the great stories. And they would some people might have been a little bit better at it, but everyone was challenged to tell a story in those moments. And I I think it's it's really a tragedy that we have been educated out of our own capacity to do this. So I feel like my work is often to just help people tap into that ancient knowledge. So one of the first things I often do with people, whether I'm coaching individually or uh, doing workshops with whole groups is to do a life map, which is to help people sort of re rethink their, their moments in their life, whether those are moments of profound change or, you know, small everyday moments, and then to knit those together into stories. And sometimes it helps just to have a, a container. You know, you and I met through Carapace, which is a local storytelling endeavor, which back in the before times, <laughs> we would show up at manuals and there was always a theme of something like road rules or off the map or up in the air. And so there's something about having that theme that just helps people think more creatively about the things that have happened to them. And then it's just a matter of, of helping people give those stories a shape so that they feel comfortable telling them. Yeah. So that, that life mapping exercise that you mentioned we did that work together, you and I, and that's been really helpful for me. I'm still working through that. And I started a writing project around it. And I think that is a really interesting way to to contextualize sort of moments, feelings, happenings, events in life, and to just put them in a, in a place where they can sort of mingle like ingredients, you know, as I work through that life map, and as I continue to go back to it, I have been looking at ways of bringing appropriate vulnerability to my storytelling and to the messaging that I put out there, even as a business owner, you know, my story has a lot of personal challenges and a lot of trauma. And so I feel like it's important to be mindful and respectful of the reader, the listener, you know, looking at how to how to be honest and open, but also appropriate so that I know what to say in what situation, because the last thing that I endeavor to do as a, you know, telling my own story is to be a trigger, you know, in actor without consent. And so appropriate vulnerability. Can you talk a little bit more about sort of how, how we can work on that? It's so tricky, isn't it? Because you're right. There are different spaces where different levels of vulnerability are appropriate. And so like what you might tell on the stage in, you know, an open mic situation would be different than what you would say in a business meeting. One thing I will say is that generally I find that when I am vulnerable to a certain extent, people tend to appreciate it. I think that we live in a world that tells us that we should build walls around ourselves, like unfortunately, literal physical walls. And I think that storytelling has this amazing capacity to help us 
break down those walls and it builds trust in a way that is so much more genuine and authentic than any like group exercise is ever going to do. But you've certainly seen it in certain spaces where people go too far. And there's that moment where you're just like, oh my God, I feel like you should be paying me for therapy right now. So I liken it as being like exfoliating. So, you know, if you never exfoliate, then your skin becomes dry and dull and lifeless. And so that's like never having any vulnerability. But if you over exfoliate, then your skin becomes raw and open to infection. And that's, that's too much vulnerability, but you have to exfoliate some. And that's like that delicate balance of like, you've got a little skin in the game, so to speak. (laughs) And I just, it's, it's kind of hard to define, but I just know that there's like this certain amount of, of risk and exposure that pays off at, in the end with storytelling. And I actually was just blocking about this last week because the first time I like really recognized this gift in myself, I got paid off in spades because this teacher was so taken by the vulnerability that I shared in an exercise that she had all of the other students in the class like write me a note. I, I did actually after that feel a little bit weirded out, but it was, it was so, so nice to have like the vulnerability that I'd shared in a writing exercise come back to me with people like thanking me and sharing what they had observed or, you know, even telling me about their own similar experiences. So I, I think at the end of the day, vulnerability is a gift that is often repaid in more vulnerability. And it's, it's a muscle that we have to build over time. Oh, that's, that's so true. That has definitely been my experience as well as that the karmic effect of what you, what you put out comes back to you. You kind of talked about, you know, how our society as a society or as a culture, we've been sort of removed from our, our roots in storytelling. And I know that some of the work that you do is centered around this kind of facilitation for particular communities and when we were working on your website, you were doing some work with Chris 180, I believe it was, and the Atlanta Center for Self-Sufficiency. And you were working with, I think, specifically with, you know, with the youth who were either, I want to say, homeless or were in, you know, a minority community or a community that was, you know, subject to a lot more ostracization than others Given that this is sort of a, an overarching cultural thing, do you think that it has even more impact on on groups like this? I think that storytelling has a certainly a very therapeutic value, and it has transformative potential in that way of of helping people tell their stories, both for the therapeutic value and then for empowerment. And empowerment is is one of those really tricky words that has a, a lot of whiteness tied to it. But at the end of the day, you're you're helping people find and use their voice and then to on the other side of that hopefully help their 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 stories be heard. So I always said that I started Story Muse for the efforts to help people hear each other across lines of difference. I don't know how successful I am always about that, but I try very hard to help people who are different from each other to, to hear each other's stories. And so, yeah, I think that's one of the, my real mission points is to, to help 
people who don't always have access to telling their stories, don't always feel invited, who feel like their stories are are not important to come forth and and then to to give a, a larger platform than than might happen. But it is interesting because going back to that notion to of like what is storytelling and and the fact that you know we used to be able to do this even sometimes when i have to talk to people about what my job is you know and it just starts with that question of like well, so what do you do and i say i'm a storyteller and so then i have to go through this whole litany with people of like oh so that means you do social media. No, I'm a storyteller. Oh, so that means that you make film. No, I'm a storyteller. Oh, so people, the word storytelling means so many different things these days. So I've done some work now with the community of folks who do work about domestic violence. Storytelling with that community actually has a very negative connotation because it's like storytelling is like the excuse that an abuser will come up with for like, why the person that they abuse like made them commit the act and they'll say, and so when people are holding each other accountable they'll say oh you're just storytelling and i've also run into that same language problem with the word vulnerable cuz as you know i'm constantly trying to encourage people to get uh, to a place of appropriate vulnerability in their storytelling but now that i've done all this work with folks who have been unhoused and are trying to, you know, build their way to more sustainability. The word vulnerable in that community uh, means something completely different and often quite negative. Yeah. I can, I can, I can really appreciate like sort of how these words mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And, you know, when you mentioned the, the domestic violence narrative, it, it sounds like for that, maybe the word storytelling is another word for like gaslighting or, projection or sort of like these things that abusers do to Mm -hmm. stay in power. I I recently had a conversation with somebody and I could definitely tell that the word vulnerability for them would have signaled being sort of open to attack and being weak because of their lived experience as, you know, having survived some difficult stuff. So I think that it's really, it's really interesting to kind of unpack how we have conversations about these about these topics in a, in a meaningful way and sort of how do we navigate these assumptions that people bring to the table about what these things mean. Right. Mm-hmm. And whenever I hear a storytelling at work, I usually, you know, people think like you said, Oh, you're, you're in, you're in branding or you're in social media. Cause it's like, I'm a brand storyteller or the Donald Miller crowd. But I think that this is kind of leading in an interesting direction because I think that a couple of the other things that you really emphasized when we were talking and when we've worked together is sort of moving towards resilience and cultivating empathy through storytelling. So could you talk about sort of the connection to things like openness and vulnerability and how resilience and empathy are part of this equation? So with resilience, one of the things that I really like to encourage people to do is to think about moving along this trajectory with their narrative so that they are able to come from always being kind of like just this hapless victim of their stories to then they can become the hero of their stories and then ultimately step outside of them altogether and become a master narrator of them. And I think a lot of people don't see themselves as having that kind of power over their lives. This was something that started for me very early on in my relationship to storytelling. I had this wonderful 
mentor. Her name was Joe Carson, and she was a nationally known playwright and community storyteller. And I had the opportunity to share some of my stories with her as we were starting Carapace up. She passed in 2011, so not long after we had started. But in those those first couple of years, when she would read my stories, she would come back to me and she would say, Turner, I'm going to need you to tell a story where you are not the anti-hero. <laughs> she, she was basically encouraging me to, to like become the hero of my story. And I, I really appreciated her pointing out that I, I was kind of positioning myself through my stories of always just like sort of waiting for the world to happen to me. And then from there, I kind of came to understand that through the, the way that I was brought up in the world and the, the, the person I was even continuing to training myself to be sitting back and just like waiting for my story to happen was never going to get me to the place I wanted to be. So I think that that's a lot about that, that resilience piece is like when we understand the stories that we listen to, that we tell about ourselves, and that we ultimately are trying to manifest that we have more power than we think that we do. And we have to pay attention to what values we're transmitting in the process. In the coaching world, I think that what you're describing often gets categorized as mindset. Do you think of this through that lens at all? Yeah, I mean... um Mindset is is one of those tricky things that I feel like uh, a lot of us don't always know that we have access to or like it's easy to kind of go slip in and out of depending on what kind of day you're having. And certainly with the, you know, the communities that I tend to work with, it's sort of like you're starting in a completely different place. But it's, it is helpful to point out to people that the, the stories that even how they tell their stories, like the, the notion that like we're constantly telling ourselves the story of like my life is going from good to bad or my life is going from bad to good can change the choices that you make over and over and over again. I know there were a couple of other concepts that you were wanting to dig into there. There was resilience and how the, oh, empathy. Yeah. So this goes to, so one thing is that I'm, I often do exercises, especially with groups around deep listening. And because I, I've noticed that the thing that's made me a better storyteller is to become a better story listener. <laughs> and for the first few years, when we were doing uh, storytelling here in Atlanta, I just like everybody else was showing up and throwing my name in the hat every single time. Like I just wanted to practice. I just wanted to do the do. And then after a while, I figured out that when my name was in the hat like that, I was never listening to anybody else's story. <laughs> you know, I was just constantly going over and unless I got picked really early on in the night. And I, I was always like profoundly disappointed when I didn't, you know, get picked. And I just felt like I didn't have a satisfactory experience of being there. And then after a while, I was like, if I become a story connoisseur, then that means not always trying to tell a story, but just showing up, not having my name in the hat and listening to how other people construct their stories, like what the themes of their stories are from month to month, all of that. And then I started really paying attention to how that was changing how I listened to people in the real world. And not that Carapace isn't the real world, but you know, uh, all the time. So I started doing these deep listening exercises and making that a module of, of the storytelling workshops and talking about how 
storytelling is a, is a way for us to tap into each other that we don't have in the everyday world. Like we get passed by some creep in Atlanta traffic that cuts you off. And wouldn't it be amazing if you could all of a sudden see their life map, <laughs> you know, like just have access to that cartoon thought bubble over their head for a moment. I'm not saying you wouldn't still feel like scared and indignant and all of that, but at least you would understand like where they're coming from for a hot second. And I think that storytelling gives us that access that we don't get on, on the daily. Yeah. I think that that's, that's a really profound thing to consider. I think that to your point, active listening is, is an interesting endeavor to engage in. Whenever I've had that experience, after I come out of it, I always realize how often I'm waiting to talk as opposed to tuning in to what another person is putting out there. And it's definitely not something that I like to feel walking away from those experiences, but I can totally relate. I've only told stories on the stage that you're talking about a couple of times ever. And on the days that I did put my name in the hat, I was literally on pins and needles just waiting to talk and like kind of trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to say first? What's my ending? And being completely and sort of self-involved in that. And I think there is a lot of power in actively choosing to participate as a listener. So that's really insightful. And I appreciate you sharing that. It's also easy to tell who's doing that. If you're the bartender walking around and helping people get their food and drink, as I used to be, you can see the the people who are, are just waiting to talk are really fidgety. And you can tell that their energy level is on a different bandwidth and a higher frequency than people who are just there to listen and sort of drink it in. It's It's, it's kind of funny. Hmm. Well, that means that you're just a more tuned in person too, because there's certainly a few staff members who would just walk around and call orders out at the top of their lungs in the middle of the storytelling. <laughs> yeah. Learning how to read the room is a skill that uh, takes a little finesse, but that's a, that's a rabbit hole we could go down. That's probably uh better suited for a, a bartender's podcast. But on the bright side, it's, it is cool to see that, you know, in terms of community that specifically talking about this place, you know, that manuals has been sort of saved yet again from the throes of death and, and that people came together. George Bailey of Atlanta. <laughs> really? Exactly. I mean, everybody yeah. came together to hold this place up. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I dropped by the other day on my way from East Atlanta to home and uh, was running errands that I had to do and got some to-go food. And I got to chat with a couple people there. And it was it was poignant to see the impact that those donations have made on the owner and his wife and his daughter. So it was really cool. I really do hope that once, once the vaccine has started making its rounds to us regular folk, that the days of storytelling and being together in person are not so, so, so far away. Yeah. I have an elderly friend who is my companion for going to Carapace, and she's not been able to do much over the last 10 months at all. So I went and picked us up some food from manuals as well. And we went and sat on the porch and it was, it was just so lovely. You know, yeah. like I don't think either of us had a, had a burger in months. So it was great. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So in addition to your work as a, as a facilitator and as a coach, you're also working on a course. 
Yeah, I'm getting ready to uh, launch a course on Udemy at the beginning of the year. Uh, I'm going to be uh, recording it in a couple weeks, and I'm really excited. It's just the basics of my curriculum for how to tell a good story. I have this whole metaphor that I've developed over time about how a good story is like a good sandwich with the bread holding it together as the first line and the last line, and vulnerability and change and different parts of the story are like the different components of the sandwich. And so I'm going to be excited to see if that's something that folks are taken, you know, are interested in. I, I haven't done a lot in, in terms of helping my work get out there in this sort of way. And I don't know, it's it's just something interesting to try. You know, the pandemic decimated my passive income in terms of Airbnb. So if, if nothing else, we'll just see if it helps with that a little bit. But it's also fun to just help help my work get out there a little bit further beyond my, you know, my immediate network. So I'll have to report back. Yeah, 100%. And I think that for the kind of thing that you do, I think that that would be a really, a really interesting course to take because one of the cool things about online learning is that you can digest things a little bit more slowly. And I think that some of these things just take time, right? To really think through your whole life map and to start making these connections and getting in the repetitions and the practice. You know, so even if you're at home filming yourself on your phone or talking to the mirror, can be helpful to have those materials to go back to to remind yourself of like, hey, here's where I'm at. Here's what I'm trying to do. And here's how to figure that stuff out. Because I know that for me, trying to figure out storytelling was kind of like this nebulous thing. And so, you know, working with you is really helpful in terms of, again, just kind of figuring out like, okay, what's appropriate to share in a story? Read the room again, learn appropriate vulnerability. I think it's going to be really a really impactful thing for people. So, if you're listening to this now, the links to that will be here in the show notes. So you can go click through and see what Shannon's got going on in her course. I know that you'll get a ton of value out of it. What else is on the on the agenda for all things Story Muse, Shannon? Well, I'm really excited to tell you about the the major project that I'm going to be doing next year is going to be a roadshow that's going to tour six cities in the state of Georgia. So the project that I did with teens and young adults who were unhoused here in Atlanta this year during the pandemic inspired some folks that I had worked with previously with the Georgia Council on Developmental Disabilities to think creatively about how we could continue to serve and, and work with that population next year as we'll continue to have to plan for the pandemic for a lot of next year as well. And, you know, a lot of those folks are considered medically fragile. So we really do have to think about their safety. So we're going to do six drive-in theaters in these cities all across the state. The storytelling will be stories of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And we're going to film them telling their stories. So that's how it's drive-in theater. But then there'll be also an interactive component at each of the live shows. So I'm really uh, just tremendously excited. It's so poignant, so relevant as even this week, as we're recording this, there's some decision-making on the table to take away some of the very important supports that make those folks' lives possible. One of the main advocacy reasons for this project is the Medicaid waiver, which is what helps people stay out of having to live in institutions. And they are right now considering taking away a bunch of the provisions in those waivers that provide for their behavioral supports, their job coaches, their ability to have nursing care in their homes, like all kinds of things that 
are the whole reason why they have these Medicaid waivers. It's super frustrating. So I'm really hopeful that by by doing the roadshow, it's going to help the average citizen in Atlanta will be one of the places understand why we need to pay attention and talk to our legislators for the same reasons that we have all become a little bit more civically engaged in the last few years. So you mentioned these are going to be the events will be at drive-ins drive-in theaters around they will the be, state. They won't be at drive-in theaters necessarily. They'll be pop-up drive-ins. So, oh, okay. Uh, so not yeah. necessarily existing drive-ins. Yeah. One of the things I learned by doing the show at Chris 180 is that it's possible to make a drive-in anywhere. Like they just have these blow-up screens and you yes. can make them wherever you want. Yes, I've seen those. And I was also thinking, how many actual drive-in theaters exist in the state of Georgia? I can only think of two. Well, it would be really fun to do one at a historic drive-in for sure. I would think they're, they're there might be, you know, one in Macon or Savannah or something that that would make it really fun. Yeah, I think the only ones I've ever seen were here at Starlight. And then there's one up in Tiger, Georgia, which is right outside of Clayton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, strange, strange relics of yesteryear. Yeah. And a really cool way to sort of get people out again without mm-hmm. exposure to COVID. Exactly. And then I'm also uh, in a conversation. It looks like I'm going to go back to Virginia Tech, which is where it all began for me to do a project that's about food and sustainability. So that's really exciting because if there's anything the pandemic has taught us is that that's something that's always shaky and one of the places where our equity really needs to be addressed. That sounds like some really interesting and important work. So I'm glad to hear that that's in the works for you. So Shannon, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. This has been a really fantastic conversation. I really appreciate you giving us your insight and your time. Thank you. This was great. Thanks, Daniel. I, I always appreciate anything that you're doing. I think that the work of, of helping people talk about being a small business owner, a writer, anything that you're talking about, I want to be a part of. Awesome. Well, again, thanks. And I will be looking forward to that course. I can't wait to tell you about it. Thanks for listening to Ritual. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone that you think would love it. Special thanks to our producer, Emily Milling, and her team at The Ultimate Creative and our amazing business manager, Erica McCauley. I recorded the intro music for this podcast with Spencer Garn at Diamond Street Studios here in Atlanta. Until next time, I'm Daniel Lamb. And just remember, everything that you need to be creative is right here with you, within you, in this moment. Mm-hmm.